That'll do. Thanks. Good morning. Jeff is right. Uh, it's probably been four years, five years that he's asked me to preach, and I have just found lots of excuses. And uh, the reason for that is because of fear, and so <laughs> that's why I thought that is probably something that's good to talk about this morning. Uh, it's something I've dealt with in my life, which I'm going to talk about, and I also think, as Jeff was saying before, that it is something that is uh, real to us all right now, because I think our world feels more uncertain now than maybe it did um, even uh, three years ago, I would say. So, um, so fear, as defined by the Oxford Dictionary, uh, is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain, or a threat. So what's interesting about this definition is that fear is very often not about what is certain, unless you're being chased by a grizzly bear, which can happen around here. Fear is about what might happen, belief that something is dangerous, thinking something is likely to cause pain. So it's not certain to cause pain, we just think it might. So another word we could use for this is future-oriented fear would be anxiety. So the journey into fear and anxiety is to realize that fear is not based in inevitability, but it's based in probability. And that's been my journey. I've lived much of my life unaware of the fear that plagues me. You can talk to Kevin about that. <laughs> I grew up in a tumultuous home. My dad was, was and continues to be a very generous and kind-hearted man. However, the mental illness that he lives with made life erratic and unstable when I was a child. When my dad was happy, life was predictable and routine, and I could feel safe. But I also knew that a thoughtless word, or even a thoughtful word, could cause a shift in his behavior. This shift could set him off on an emotional, an emotional volatility that would throw the entire household into chaos. So I became an expert at predicting those shifts in his behavior. My goal was to watch for any danger so I could keep my dad calm. I thought I could control my dad's behavior to keep myself and my family safe. So sometimes these survival skills that served me, these survival skills served me well in my childhood home. They kept me safe, but however, these same skills followed me into life and have not always been as helpful. When you learn the world is an unsafe place, you're always looking for your next source of fear. What could happen? The something that is likely to cause pain. You can see danger even when it's not there. So you learn to rely on yourself and your spidey senses to keep yourself protected and control situations instead of relying on the one who made you and loves you to no end. Now, I wasn't actually aware of myself scanning the horizon for the next threat all the time, because you see, fear is tricky. It's not always easy to identify in our lives, partly because it's such an uncomfortable emotion, we will do anything to avoid it. I like Brené Brown, and she defines avoidance as not showing up and often spending a lot of energy zigzagging around and away from that thing that already feels like it's consuming us. So what kinds of things do we avoid? How does this definition ring true for you? It could be the difficult conversation with a family member. It could be the doctor's appointment that you don't really want to make could be looking at your bank account, could be saying no to something that you know people really want you to say yes to, could be a boundary that you have to set with your friend, it could be the scary leftovers 
that are in your the container at the back of your fridge. <laughs> that is mine. <laughs> so thank you, Kevin, for cleaning the fridge. So it could be the sermon to write or to speak. Our inclination to avoid our fear comes from within ourselves as well as outside of ourselves. So humans are masters of self-deceit. Starting right in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and what did they do next? They hid from God because they were afraid. We run from anything that makes us fearful because we don't want to be vulnerable and exposed. The pandemic has been a perfect example of our ability to deny fear, I think. One of the biggest accusations cast between people is, was that of being afraid. I think the truth is that everyone was afraid. The question really was, what were you afraid of? Are you afraid of getting sick? Are you, are you afraid of making someone else sick? Are you afraid of losing control of your choices or the trustworthiness of the government? One side accuses the other of fear when really it's about fear on all sides. As humans, our sinful nature creates fear in us. We're all afraid of something. That's why the Bible is filled with exhortations not to fear. There's tons of them. Our Heavenly Father knows us well. Are we vulnerable enough to be honest with ourselves, with Jesus, with the people around us? Augustine wrote in the Confessions, how can you draw close to God when you are far from your own self? God can't do much with our inner hearts if he sees what's going on there, but we choose not to see the truth of them. So on top of our own self-deceit, there's also tremendous pressure from other places in our lives to deny fear. Our, our culture encourages it. In movies and TV, we applaud the fearless heroes taking on Thanos. I do like my Marvel. We love the persevering detective who won't stop till she solved the mystery, or the independent cowboy who brings justice to his town. We want to be like these people. Oh, I was gonna add a picture of Kevin, like the person who cleans the fridge, but I didn't. He's gonna preach on resentment one time, so. Uh, we feel empowered and strong and admired when we think we're like these people. And that's not wrong. Like that, I think, is a God-given thing in us. We're called to be courageous. But courage without vulnerability is, denies the truth of ourselves. It's just play acting. And in the church, maybe we're not much different. Pete Scazzaro, author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Thank you, Jeff, you introduced me to that amazing book. Many he says that many Christians believe that anger, sadness, and fear are sins to be avoided. So when we feel those emotions, we're sure there's something wrong with our spiritual life. We must be weak. We don't want to be judged as weak or unfaithful by, other, by ourselves or by fellow Christians. So we inflate ourselves with false confidence and make those feelings go away. We pretend to the people around us and to ourselves that we are courageous. But when we disavow our fear, when we pretend it doesn't exist, that's when it has its greatest power on us. Avoiding or pretending doesn't cause fear to go away. It just morphs into something different. Fear left to fester can look like anger. Often, in my case, it would turn into control or manipulation, trying to force an outcome that will or decrease and manage my own fear. Or it can look like perfectionism and procrastination, trying to get it perfect to avoid shame. So how do we learn to identify fear in our lives? 
The Enneagram is one place I've learned to identify my fear. How many of you guys have heard of the Enneagram? Can I see a show of hands? I'm just curious. Okay, so quite a few. Um, if you haven't heard of it, it's a personality typology system, but I don't like to look at it as a personality test because it's so much more. To me, it provides a personalized map for sanctification or holy living. It's been really helpful to me because it focuses more on intention, um, what's behind our actions, than the actual actions. So the Enneagram postulates that each person has, is one of nine types, each with its own virtue, good parts to us, and also each with its own root sin. And they kind of follow pretty much the deadly, the, the seven deadly sins, plus then there's fear and deceit as well. The Enneagram can show us where we hide from ourselves and therefore where we hide from God. So every number deals with fears related to their root sin. For me, I'm a six on the Enneagram, and my fear is connected a lot to loss of security, so I'm always looking to be safe. For other types, it can be a fear of failure. It could be a fear of vulnerability, a fear of losing love, a fear of losing connection. When we can identify what that fear is, then it can bring change and growth into our lives. So another way to notice fear in our lives is to slow life down. I loved this quote that came up on my Facebook a few weeks ago. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies growth and freedom. I don't think it's easy to live like that because we live in such a fast-paced world. It's like input, output, get a text, respond. You know, it's always so fast. So to slow things down, that space between action and reaction, I feel like that's that space I want to invite Jesus into in my life. So today, I want to invite you into that slow space because I can tell you all about my fears, but ultimately, Jesus wants to meet you in yours. So we're going to do this through an imaginative prayer exercise. Our imagination, which is the place where we form mental images not present to our actual senses, is a gift we have from God. Using imagination in the church is not a recent invention. Throughout church history, early church fathers like Augustine and Ignatius have used it to help people experience the life-healing truths of God. Oswald Chambers, he wrote, if you, have ever used, if you have never used your imagination to put yourself before God, begin to do it now. He didn't. He was always quite direct, hey? Imagination is the greatest gift God has given us, and it ought to be devoted to him. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the story of Jesus calming the storm from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41. It's a paraphrase of the story that adds details so that your imagination can imagine things a little better but it still stays quite true to the biblical text. So there's gonna be some silence at the end of this exercise. It's only gonna be like a minute or two, but it will feel like four or five hours. <laughs> so that's been my experience anyway. Um, we're not used to silence in our world, so it might feel uncomfortable for you. It's gonna feel uncomfortable for me, but I think I want to encourage us all to fight that urge to just rush to the next thing because, again, we want to think about that stimulus and response and we want to, like, be in that space, that liminal space where we can invite Jesus to be in with us because that is where he meets us. So I'm going to invite you to get comfortable and I'm going to invite you to take some deep breaths and to allow your mind to slow down 
release the tension in your body. Notice where you're maybe holding it. Maybe it was a rush to get here this morning. Take this time to let go of any thoughts or worries or distractions. I like to envision that as dropping your baggage at the door. What baggage do you have that you just need to drop so that you can fully enter into this space with Jesus? So as I read the story, I invite you to put yourself into the story. Feel the wind and imagine the waves and what it's like to be on the boat. Notice what you're drawn to and what you're resistant of and pay particular attention to Jesus. After the story, there'll be some reflection questions on the PowerPoint and you can notice those and respond. You are with the disciples standing near the Sea of Galilee. You can hear the lapping of the water. You can feel the moisture in the air and the blowing of a gentle breeze. You hear Jesus call out. Let's cross to the other side of the lake. Jesus is already in the boat. So you and the other disciples quickly get in. Some of the disciples begin to row and the boat slowly moves away from the shore. Jesus takes a place in the back of the boat, he grabs a cushion for his head and he lies down. So you and the disciples continue across the lake you begin to feel the force of the wind picking up. You notice the waves are beginning to build in height and intensity. As the waves continue to grow, they start crashing into the boat, causing huge amounts of water to fill the boat. You look at the faces of the disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, John, fishermen who grew up on the lake, you see fear in their eyes and hear panic in their voices. Start getting some of this water out of the boat, they shout. Your mind is racing. Fear is rising and gaining control over you. And as each wave crashes into the boat, it brings more water. You suddenly remember Jesus, man of God, powerful, caring, concerned, and involved. You turn to see him, seeking to draw strength, courage, and hope from him. But he's asleep. Jesus is sleeping while you and the disciples are facing certain death. Anger begins to rise within you. Doesn't Jesus care? Your fear begins to birth panic, and you rush over to Jesus, frantically shaking him and shouting, Don't you care that we're about to drown? Jesus awakens. Quiet down, he says. The wind and waves stop. He then looks at you and the rest of the disciples, saying, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith in me?
Thank you, Jesus, that you are always with us, that you long to commune with us, to talk with us, to show yourself to us. Thank you that we're two or more of us are gathered. You are there also. Thank you for your love. Thank you for meeting us in our fear. This is a really, I would say, deeply personal exercise to do. So I have no expectations of anyone sharing, but I also want to offer that opportunity if anyone would like to share something. So I'm just gonna leave it for a few minutes or a few seconds. <laughs> would anyone like to share? Thank you for sharing. I think it's powerful for all of us. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Recognizing our humanness, hey? Oh, I love those pictures of Jesus. They are like, you know, like that as that high priest who has so much empathy and love and knows us, like isn't there to judge us. So, yeah, beautiful. Mm. But when I did realize life, everything that life or the person 
Yeah. 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 I understand that. That's why I think that stimulus response quote was so meaningful to me because it does, it feels like when I take that space, then I can, I can feel and see and hear him. But yeah, otherwise it's just like to do, to do, to do, to do, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I love the question Jesus asks, why are you afraid? Anne Voskamp, she has a book called Waymaker, says, no question may matter more, because if we let fear surge in the mind, they'll turn the needles of the heart. If our lips never speak those fears out loud, the fears remain slippery, morph large in the dark, turning our hearts away from love himself. Only what you actually name can you regulate. Jesus knows it's important for us to regularly examine our hearts and ask ourselves why we're so afraid. Holding on to fears is to delay the comfort of God. And if we can name what's causing our fear, if we can express it and share it, then it can be tamed. And that's why the Bible exhorts us to cast all our anxiety on him because he cares for you or to do not be anxious about anything but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So when we face our fears instead of avoiding them, how do we deal with them? I'm learning that the only true antidote to fear in this world is the person of Jesus. So John 20 has become a meaningful story for me. So I'm going to read it. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So these are the, some of the same disciples that were in the boat with Jesus, calming the storm. They had seen his miracles, they'd walked with him, and they'd also watched him die. They've already had a few glimpses of the resurrection. Just before this, Peter and John had rushed to the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there with no body. Um, Mary had just met Jesus in the garden and had told the disciples all about it, but the disciples were still afraid. Again, Jesus understanding our humanness. Um, they were afraid of the Jews who had crucified Jesus. Maybe they were even afraid because the last time they were with Jesus, they had abandoned him. Peter had denied him. They had failed him. The beauty of God's grace to us. Jesus already knows us and our fears well. He accepts us without judgment where we are. I love this quote from Brennan Manning that says, God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be because nobody is as they should be. So into this fear in the upper room, Jesus arrives. Now, he could have rebuked the disciples for their unfaithfulness or their cowardice the previous weekend, but instead, he slices through the darkness of their fear, their worries, and their anxieties with his words, peace be with you. So peace is the antithesis of fear. It's the opposite. 
Peace is the word shalom here, an Old Testament word that does not just mean the absence of conflict, but a sense of well-being that only comes from being in right relationship with God. And when we are in right relationship with God, when his presence is with us and in us, his perfect love casts out all fear. Then Jesus breathes on his disciples, and I loved this part. It just hit me like I was listening to a sermon a few months ago, and, and I was like, oh, I'd never thought of it that way. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. So the word for breath here is the same one used in Genesis when life was breathed into man. So the breath of God in creation meant physical life for us, and the breath of Jesus in this new creation means spiritual life for us. The old has gone and the new has come. Lately, I've been struck by how often I hold my breath when I'm afraid. I'm not sure if any, I also do it in CrossFit and like other things like that, probably because I'm afraid. Um, fear can do that. Anxiety can do that. In this story, it's like Jesus is coming into the room and giving artificial resuscitation to his disciples. His breath is what revives us and keeps us going. That's become a practice for me. Attending to my fear and not avoiding it Facing my fear with the reminder of the Holy Spirit in me have become spiritual practices. When fear comes, and in this life we know it will, I breathe deep to remind me of the ever-present gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus always with me. These breaths bring his peace and also remind me that I can let go. I don't have to control, and I can fall into his peace. I can trust that no matter what, God works all things for good. He brings redemption in the midst of death, joy in the midst of mourning, beauty out of ashes. I love those pictures of Jesus. I don't have to run from fear. I don't have to control it. And often it's amazing when we face these vulnerable places and take these risks, what God can do in us and through us. We really can do all things through him who gives us strength.